Hello there, how are you doing this Tuesday, the 15th of November 2022? Hope all is well with you, it's me, the BBG, back with you, thankfully, after a bit of an illness. Still a bit, um, how would I describe it, a bit croaky, maybe a little bit croaky, but getting there. Thanks for your concern, by the way. Two really good guests between now and seven, you can join in as usual by the website, it's comment live, live comment on the website, that's the best way to reach me, your BBG, that's the one. Not the BBC. Live from the magnificent city of Salford. It's the Richie Allen Show. Broadcasting live on richieallen.co.uk and multiple platforms around the world. And now, here's your host... And I'm delighted to be welcoming back to the programme the journalist and former teacher Nicola Lund in the second hour of today's programme. A really, really, really interesting lady. She's been on the programme a couple of times in the past. She's written some brilliant pieces for conservativewoman.co.uk, particularly during the whole COVID thing. Nicola's second hour. Before that, Hayden Hewitt, the man behind LiveLeak.com, no longer with us, but a massively important website. He, these days, he is running Black Octopus Productions. He's making terrific movies, films, short and feature films. I want to talk to him about tech issues today namely the Elon Musk takeover of Twitter and also crypto cryptocurrencies. We'll talk about those things with Hayden Hewitt and much more this hour because he will be with us in around about 25 minutes' time. That's Tuesday's programme. Yeah, I don't normally go so far with the theme tune, but I needed to grab some more water there because the old throat is still a bit sore. Uh, Thanks for putting up with... I know it was a nightmare in the summer and then I was back a few weeks and then I had a couple of days off with uh, the chest infection. But I was pretty rotten. If you heard the programme on Sunday morning when I attempted to come on and do the melody thing, I was pretty shabby, but I'm a lot better now. And fingers crossed, that is it for me. I tend to rejoice, dear listener, when I get a bit of a bug in November. Why? I'll tell you why. Because I think to myself, well, you're clear now until maybe next winter. You're clear. You're certainly touch wood there. Touch wood, that's me banging the wooden table. Touch wood that I won't get anything over the Christmas, over the crimbo period. That's the one. How are things in your life? All right? Not, don't bitch to me. I don't want to know. I do, I do want to know, you can tell me. And tomorrow night, by the way, Wednesday, I'm doing a fountain. So put it in your your thing. You don't have a diary anymore, do you, you Philistine? No, you've got a, a calendar on your smartphone and you use your calendar to put all of your engagements in there, don't you? Don't you, you techie bastard, you. That's what you do. That's what I should do seeing as I have a smartphone, but I don't. So tomorrow from 5.30, you and me will chat about all things, whatever the bloody hell you want to talk about. This was something I was going to talk about yesterday, but uh, I wasn't here. Oh, can I can I make an apology, by the way? Um, I was all over the place yesterday. There were things going on. We've had the roof on our house replaced, by the way, in recent days, because it collapsed in on us, more or less. The front, just over the main bedroom, the roof collapsed. 20-something-year-old roof, it needed to be 
replaced anyway. We budgeted for it when we moved in here three years ago. So the money was there. Thanks be to Jesus. So um, sooner than we thought we had to have the roof replaced, it's just been done. They're gone. The scaffolding is gone. And there's a new roof on BBG Towers now. So yesterday I put some messages on Patreon and I got Rog to copy the message and put it onto Facebook. And I said to myself, right now, make sure you let people know on the website that you're not going to be on today. And I forgot like a feckin' idiot. And that's why there was nothing on the website. So mea culpa. To make matters worse, I ballsed up putting a repeat on. So when you came on the stream at five o'clock expecting to hear me, not only did you not hear me, but you heard feck all. So I had a crazy day yesterday. That's my fault because there's only me here. There's no I in me. There's no team in me. It's just me. So apologies. All right. Okay. There you are. This um this made me laugh. You'll probably be aware of a charity. It 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 has charity status. It's a group called Stonewall, and it's a group which purports. Do you like that? Purports. A lot of plosives there. Gotta have the old pop shield on the microphone thingamajig. Uh, Stonewall purports to be looking out for the rights of LGBTQ plus people. And in recent years, Stonewall has managed to threaten, cajole, plomos, there's a great Irish term, companies into allowing Stonewall come into companies and tell companies how they should deal with their gays and lesbians and trannies. We should be allowed to come in. I shouldn't say trannies. I, I don't say that to upset anybody, by the way. I don't. I say it because I'm a feckin' idiot. And I don't think before I speak. It's gotten me into lots of trouble over the years and probably will continue to do so. So anyway, the transgenders, the gays and the, the homosexuals and the lesbians... So Stonewall has managed to convince employers and educational institutions, academia and all of that, that Stonewall should be allowed to come in and dictate to you how you treat your LGBT people and policies and all this stuff. Here are policies. Now, of course, it's monumental bollocks. It's crazy because there wasn't a fucking problem, was there? We never cared about the gays and the lesbians and the transvestites and the transgenders. We just didn't. We just knew. Yeah, Brian, yeah, Brian's gay, yeah. Yeah, he is. He's a bit strange, a bit odd. That's what they would have said years ago. He's a bit odd, Brian, isn't he? Um, but, but by and large, there wasn't really any need for charities to be telling companies what to do. But Stonewall is full of idiots, I know this. And I came across this over the weekend. It was shared with me by a fellow journalist. And today... Michael Deacon, and yesterday Michael Deacon, writing in The Telegraph has picked up on this. Stonewall's latest idea is so ridiculous that the man, woman, unicorn, non-binary, gender fluid, whichever person at Stonewall came up with this, well, they should be sectioned. Sectioned. They should be sent into a mental hospital and examined for a few weeks. Or, as we used to say back in the day, because in Ireland we were so embarrassed about everything. In Ireland we were so embarrassed. We couldn't talk about anything in Ireland years ago. It wasn't just sex. We couldn't be open about anything. I've had family members who went to a psychiatric hospital for a couple of weeks because they were depressed. I really have. But we were mortified about this in Ireland. You couldn't talk about this. So we would say things like... Um, yeah, he's gone into St. Declan's, yeah. 
Yeah. And he's gone in because he's morbidly depressed and he can't put his underpants on, right? But we would say things like, he's gone in, Asher, he's gone in for a rest. He's gone in for a rest. That's the sort of stuff we would say. We just couldn't be honest. We're, we're too ashamed of everything in Ireland. Yeah, I mean, my uncle's gone into St. Declan's, yeah, yeah. Why? Well, because he's crying while drinking neat vodka in his underpants and socks in front of fucking Blue Peter. That's why. He's lost it. He's off his fucking head, so we sent him into St. Declan's. We couldn't say that, so we would say, Asher, he's just gone in for a bit of a rest. Okay, now, enough of the messing. So why should Stonewall have somebody sectioned? Somebody at Stonewall... Um, has suggested, and this has been sent to companies in England, that uh, companies to be more inclusive should give employees two separate email addresses. Now, you think nothing wrong so far, right? Uh, so you might say, Allen at richieallen.co.uk and then you might say, Richard Allen or Richie.Allen. No, 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 Stonewall says if any staff member identifies as gender fluid, you should give them two separate email addresses so they can switch between identities from day to day to day to day. Yes, yes, give them two because he identifies as Martin today, but tomorrow he'll identify as Mary and it'll promote inclusivity in the workplace. At Stonewall. Gender fluid, are you? No problems. We'll get you another email address there, Michael. You just tell us who you are from day to day. You could end up with a dozen fucking email addresses. But as Michael Deacon points out in the Telegraph, and it's a bit of brilliance, I think, he says the problem with this is, is that the other colleagues who identify as male or female, because that's all there is, and because biological sex matters, the other colleagues might end up getting themselves into trouble. Because they can't fucking email Martin or Mary or Martha or Mickey unless they constantly ask them. And of course you can't be doing that because you don't have any time, do you? You don't have any time to pick up the phone and ring the extension number. How are you? What are you today? Martha, is it all right, Martha? I'm sending you an email. You don't have time to do that. So you might just send it to Martin and before you know it, you're being hauled before HR to explain why you're such a misgendering fucking bastard. Madness. Madness reigns. It only takes one or two big corporations, of course, to tell Stonewall and every other charity to piss off. We'll do that which we've always done. We will mind our own fucking business when it comes to sexuality. I don't care how many gays I have. I don't care how many trannies I have. I don't care how many fucking shemales work in this company. All I really care about is the bottom line. And the amount of dosh in the wallet in my back pocket, do you understand? That's all it needs, is a few companies to stand up and say enough is enough is enough is enough. We've talked quite a bit on this programme about the online harms bill, which is tyranny, writ large, in big block capital letters. It's a bill that is stop-start going through UK Parliament. It's a bill which purports, that is the word of the day, P-U-R-P-O-R-T-S. It purports to keep children safe on the internet. That is the claim. The reality is that it wants to bring in censorship, which was unimaginable when you and I were in uni or in college or in some vocational training academy. 
unimaginable. But that's what they want to bring in. Now, um, it basically wants to legislate for things that are not illegal, but deemed to be harmful. And harmful, dear listener, is in the eye of the beholder. Okay, so a minority group says they don't, they don't like something or someone or the way something is being said. It isn't illegal, but the minority group or the vulnerable group claims it is harmful. Therefore, it must be struck, stricken from the record of the internet, banished, never to be seen again by anybody. And ultimately, the online harms bill is about the independent media. And in this country, the online harms bill is about the Richie Allen show. We know this. We've heard from journalists on this programme. I've had correspondence from senior journalists who confirmed this to be the case. It really is. So, Sanjay Bandaria is a guy who works for Kick It Out, which which purports to be an anti-racism group which purports to want to stop racism in football. Now, there isn't any racism in football. This is the beauty of this lunacy. There is none. Some dickhead who's trolleyed up the wazoo on Stella Artois. Is that how you say it? Stella Artois. On a Saturday night after his team has been knocked out of the cup by fucking Cheltenham Town is not a racist when he has a go at minorities on his team on social media. He is a dickhead. That's what he is. That's what he always was. He is pissed right up and he is a dickhead. Just like those idiots who tweeted the England players who missed the penalties last year. Idiots! Look at what people do when they don't get their own way. Look at some of the messages sent to this programme yesterday because I wasn't here. Dickheads! Dickheads! Losing their temper. Screaming because they don't get their own way. Richie isn't here. Ah! He's a bastard. Ah, he's a shill. And, And you see this online. It isn't racism. It's just morons. There's no racism in football. There used to be. I was at a football match many years ago when a banana skin was thrown onto to a pitch. This was Sevilla versus Arsenal in Seville's stadium in Seville. And guys were making monkey chants and stuff like that. You could say that's racism. Although strangely enough, when their own black players came out to warm up, they were cheering them and singing their names. I can't figure it out to this day. So anywho... Uh, Kick It Out is a group that exists by telling us that racism is everywhere. If, yeah, racism is everywhere, particularly in football, and young black footballers and young Asian footballers and women must be protected from dickheads. You cannot be protected from dickheads. You can't. It's impossible. Nobody should legislate for dickheads. Where would we be without the dickheads? It's the dickheads in this world that make us realise just how well off we really are. Just how rational we are just how decent we are, just how relatively sane we are. We have a lot to thank the dickheads for, the ones who scream abuse when things don't go their way. So there isn't any real racism in football, certainly not in the UK, it doesn't exist. Uh, But this guy, it must exist for this guy to have a job and for him to be on television. Now, he's really worried is Sanjay Bandaria from Kick It Out. What is he worried about? He's worried that the online harms bill has been stopped too many times, and that it won't be sent to the House of Lords before the end of the Parliament, the current Parliament, meaning it'll need to be redrawn, redrafted, 
and the process will need to start again. This guy wants racism to end. Have a listen very carefully to some of the things he says. It will come back as soon as possible. And so what we're fearful of is that the government is going to run, over t- run out of time because this bill, if it doesn't pass in this session of Parliament, cannot be held over to the next one because it's already been rolled over once and it's, you cannot roll it over twice. So really, in, in effect, they have to get it in before the Lords in the next few weeks and months because it has to clear the Lords by the end of April. So we're asking them to be clear on what, any, what if any amendments are going to be made so that all of us can look at those uh, and to, to be comfortable that not only is it dealing with illegal content, but it's dealing with this kind of content which is not illegal. Now listen to this, this is really important. Excuse me for screaming at you there. This is really important. Not just dealing with illegal content, but dealing with illegal content but that which somebody says is harmful. Is it dealing with illegal content, but it's dealing with this kind of content which is not illegal, but which is harmful. Uh, And to give us as users the rights to be able to control the 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 information that we see. You don't you, you may have freedom of speech in the real world. Please listen to this again. It's so important this. It really is. Because I've been banging on about this for years. I really have. Listen to the madness of this tyrant. Which is not illegal, but which is harmful. Uh, and to give us as users the rights to be able to control the, 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 the information that we see. No, no. You want to control the information that other people see. It's legal. Uh, but you think it's harmful. You say it's harmful. Therefore, you must have the right to control it and to have it removed just because it offends your delicate sensitivities. Right? This is tyranny. And Twitter and Facebook doesn't have to give people any more controls. They've got them. They're called mute and block. If somebody happens to show up on your timeline and he or she is saying things which you find to be grossly offensive, you can press mute or block and you don't see that person again. This little tyrant here, what's his name again, this dickhead? Let me give you his name again. Sanjay Bandaria. This, there isn't a better word than tyrant. This guy wants a paradigm shift whereby anybody can say that something offends them or, or upsets them and in that instance it must not just be removed from their own field of vision or from their field of hearing, but that it should be disappeared off the internet forever and ever and ever. You don't, you, you may have freedom of speech in the real world, but you, We don't though, do we? You don't have the freedom to force someone to hear it. You have that right online. No, you don't. Why should you have that right online that you don't have in the real world? But in the real world, you should, in theory, be able to say whatever you want. You certainly don't have the right to chase people down the street screaming things at them, that they do not wish to hear, but that doesn't happen very often. Um, but you should have the right to say whatever it is you want, no matter how offended others might be by hearing it, surely. That's an example of one of the things that the bill does already seek to cover, and we want clarification that that and other measures are going to be retained in the bill. You know why I hate Sanjay Bandaria? And I've often said to you, I hate Sanjay, and then I've jumped back in and said, I don't really hate anybody. I hate him. I loathe everything about him. But I'll tell you who I hate worse than him. 
And that's the interviewer, a woman called Joanna Gosling at the BBC. None of these people ever seek to, 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 to kind of expand the conversation, to kind of flesh it out a bit, and ask these guys, could, could you give me an example of racism in English football, real racism in the last 10, 15 years, even in the Premier League era? Can you give us an example of overt racism? And they can't because there isn't any racism. Is there anything else from this Egypt here? And we have to keep going with these plays until they until they do things. Look, the, the fact is nothing, right? I tell you what, I, there's loads for me to get into. Let me just do a couple of things really quickly. This is a bit spooky this morning. BBC Radio Five Live Breakfast. Have a listen. Eight billionth child has now been born overnight, apparently, right? Give or take a child or two. And give, give or take a child or two. Give or take a year or two. And give or take a year or two. It's an imprecise science, but this is the day that they've calculated the global population has reached eight billion. Cause for celebration for one family, for sure. But the question is, how many more people can this faltering planet sustain? Faltering planet sustain. How many more people can this faltering planet sustain, says Rachel Borden? Something to think about. I thought that was interesting. And yesterday afternoon, when I was running around cleaning up after the roofers had gone, when I should have been on here with you, I was listening again to Radio 5 Live, to their Drive Time programme presented by Tony Livesey and Claire McDonnell. I want you to listen to this. It's about climate change. But it's also about maybe, maybe this is a little window onto... Something we've come to understand as social crediting. Have a listen. Now back in October here on Drive, we brought you the launch of this season's Planet League. It brings together football teams from the whole English pyramid for five weeks of competition to see which one can do the most to promote sustainable initiatives. Tom Gribben is the CEO of Planet League and he's here with exclusive news of who won. Hello, Tom. Hello. Great to see you again. Uh, we're going to do the big reveal in just a few moments' time. But but let's talk then about the whole pyramid. And we're talking about the biggest clubs uh, in the land, aren't we? And, and some of the smaller ones too. So what have, what have they all been trying to do? We've had 77 clubs take part from, as you say, not just up and down the country, but up and down the leagues from the top of the Premier League through to... The National League, and obviously the, the fan bases differ hugely within those two, you know, those, those, those different leagues. And the idea behind the Planet League was to uh, try and get the fans to take as much green action as possible in their day-to-day -day lives and use their... Right, so Planet League, get the 72 football league clubs in England, get, get their fans to take green action, to make changes in their daily lives to demonstrate that they are reducing their own carbon footprint, right? over 75,000 actions taken from fans up and down the country over this period of time. And there's been a lot of competitive rivalry for the 77 clubs. And, yeah, we're looking forward to announcing who's won. Well, it's about to come. But listen, what, what sort of stuff have people been doing? There's a, you know, there's, there's from uh, quick and simple to more complicated. We're trying to get people, uh, having a meat-free meal, line drying your clothes. Meat-free meal, drying your clothes on the washing line. Getting a smart meter installed, eh? Um, maybe turning the thermostat down by one degree. 
turning down your thermostat. You listening to this? Each of these things you do, you score a goal, one, two, or three for your club. And Every time you did one of these things, you got one, two, or three goals for your club, and this is how they evaluated which club won. You could see this coming in, couldn't you, in a civilian capacity at some stage in the future, in return for rewards, maybe. Am I stretching this too far, maybe? Couldn't you see this? Your local authority asking you to demonstrate what you've been doing to reduce your own carbon footprint. Well, look, I've got my clothes out on the line. Look, take a little video, send it in. Look, I'm having vegetables only today. I'm not having any meat. And look, look, I've just got a smart meter installed. Aren't I such a great citizen? And in return for that, you might get food stamps. Who knows? You have to send us a photo to, to show us you've done it. And that's really important because um, fans love their club so much, they'll tell us they've done everything when maybe they haven't. So. Right, yeah. So you needed evidence. We need some evidence. And it's also important because, um, you know, we can we can show people all the great things that we're doing. You know, and they show off on social media. They like to show what they're doing out in nature. They like to show how they're, you know, the kids may be uh, turning the lights off in the house or whatever it may be. So it does bring it to life um, a lot more. Brilliant stuff. So here we go. There's nothing brilliant about it, really. Uh, we're going to put people out of the misery in reverse order. We're about to reveal the top five clubs. Who won? Take away Tony. Oh, right. to them and we've received this message from one of Northampton's most famous sons whose dad Graham used to manage the club take a listen hello everyone it's Alan Carr here it's just a quick message to, <laughs> to say well done to Northampton town all their supporters and all the local schools who are doing their best to tackle climate change and also for winning Planet League well done Planet League you could see that coming in like tidy towns I remember growing up in Ballybeg in Waterford and neighbourhoods took part in something called the Tidy Towns. They had this here in the UK as well. You would try and keep your neighbourhood as clean as you possibly could. You would get everybody out maybe at the weekend to pick up all the litter and to give a nice bit of a, a, a trim to the lawns and all that sort of stuff. You could see this coming in in the future where communities would um, compete against other communities to reduce their carbon footprint. What do you think? Am I... Talking through my backside again, am I? I probably am, because I usually am. Colds, seasonal flu and respiratory diseases, a nuisance, but we all get them. Now more than ever, it is essential to have a robust immune system. Inspired by the Zelenko Protocol, Immunex 365 is a unique formulation that combines effective levels of vitamins D3, C and K2, as well as zinc and quercetin. Take back your health with just two capsules of Immunex 365 every day. As a special launch offer to UK listeners of The Richie Allen Show, you will receive a discount of 15% by using the code RichieAllen365 at checkout. Go to immunex365.co.uk to get yours now and with free two-day track delivery. 
been banned by the legacy media. At richieallen.co.uk Yeah, I'm Richie Allen, by the way, the BBG. This is the world's most listened to independent news radio show. I'm the presenter, producer, chief bottle washer and sweeper upper. Yeah, imagine that, yeah. Show how you're reducing your carbon footprint by lying, drying your clothes, not eating meat, get a smart meter, win prizes. This is Thin Lizzy, Hayden Hewitt is next from North Manchester. Thin Lizzy dedication, what's going on there? That shouldn't be happening. That shouldn't be happening either. Let's see what's going on there. All right, all right, all right, all right. So there's a wire cross somewhere. This has happened before. <laughs> it's 29 minutes to at the top of the hour. Let's welcome back to the programme. It's been a while. He is, um, what is he? Again, I suppose he's the chief cook bottle washer extraordinaire at Black Octopus Productions a relatively new Manchester-based film production company, which has already produced some terrific short films. You'll see them, you'll find them. At um, Unseen is one, Lips is another one. You'll find them on YouTube at Black Octopus Productions. You'll find them online at Black Octopus Productions. He's um, well-known on uh, on Tinternet, having been the face of LiveLeak.com for many years and uh, made many television appearances to defend the existence of LiveLeak.com. Not that he ever had to defend it. Let's welcome back to the programme. My friend and yours, it's the one and the only Hayden Hewitt. Welcome back, Hayden. Hi, mate. How are you doing? I'm not too shabby. There's a wire cross in this new sexy machinery of mine. Um, Of course there is. I'm on. Well, you know when... This is what happens. Yeah, you know as a man who's driven many a desk, TV and and video and film and, and, and radio, you'll know that when faders are down, Sound shouldn't come out of those fucking channels. But (laughs) for some reason, sound is coming out of my channel, even when it's not raised. I find that only happens when you're saying something really quite unfortunate on that channel. Yeah, possibly. I wasn't. I was just saying just what a a stand-up guy you are. Listen, we've only got 28 minutes. My listeners are tired of hearing me. I want to talk tech, and I want to talk... Elon Musk's takeover of yes. Twitter and the bizarre claims in some quarters that <laughs> Musk might file for bankruptcy. We'll come to that in a moment. Um, number one. Number two, are you still there? Yeah, I'm oh, still thank here. God. I heard that sound of the call dropping out. There's something going on here. It's do you know who it is? It's those bloody Zionists. That's who it is. No, it's that, not exactly you know, they're, they're, they're responsible <laughs> for everything. everything. Know, yes, yes. <laughs> it's Stephen. It's Stephen, in the, <laughs> my accountant. So, so what, before we talk about the bankruptcy, um, Musk's takeover of Twitter was celebrated by the 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 political right in the United States of America. Were they right to be in, enthusiastic about his uh, coming in? I I don't know about the the, the right. I, I think the ones that might identify as libertarian might have loved the idea that somehow. It was going to be some kind of free for all, but as we know, those days have long, long gone. Um, I was overjoyed because it's been as much fun as I thought it was going to be. I've enjoyed it immensely. Uh, I, I can't imagine Twitter being more fun. <laughs> right. you know, apart, from, apart from when they, they permanently suspended me, obviously, they what? finally got me. For nothing. And this is an important thing yeah. because you're a guy who is well known for the things you've done 
obviously being a filmmaker, your Twitter account is important. Let's not, you know, yeah, let's be yeah. honest about it. And you were booted out for having a robust but a very fair exchange <laughs> with a gender... I'm certainly robust, yes. Robust, <laughs> yes. but with a gender-obsessed person who wasn't too happy It, it wasn't you. even just that, actually. It was a couple of messy... Basically, a load of the people got together and mass-reported me. And at first, they told me it was for targeted harassment. And they sent me three tweets that didn't have any harassment in. So I said, could you show me this harassment? Uh, and after the second appeal, it came back as targeted abuse now. So what I do is I've got to the point where I just send them a nice message every week through the appeals form. Ask them how they're doing. Have you still got your job? Do you like working for Elon? I know it's busy. Could you have another look at my account and I get another automated response? Yeah. I like to think I'm spreading peacefulness and joy throughout the employees of Twitter in my own small, small way. And it's right to be, I mean, I can, I, I totally understand your kind of humorous approach to it, but it's a tyranny. And we, look, we don't have to cover that oh, ground yeah. again because we, we've, we've yeah. done it to death. We know the hegemony enjoyed by Twitter and Facebook should never have been allowed. And because it was allowed, they should not be um, entitled to, you know, exclude somebody from, a debate on anything and, and basically say, that's it forevermore. You are gone. So the right said th th some of the right in America said, great, this guy's come in. He's going to start yeah. putting accounts back. One of the first accounts that got reapproved was Anjam Chowdhury's, which I thought yeah. was absolutely <laughs> fantastic. A regular well, guest David, on this program. David Icke. Dave, oh, the, the lovely Anjam Chowdhury. Oh, the yes. lovely Anjam. I like him. He's a good lad. <laughs> I don't like him at all. I don't like his ideas, <laughs> but I, I try to separate the guy from his ideas when I speak yeah, to him on, I, on the I show. I do, you know. and I know you do it professionally, but I, I don't. I, I have the luxury of never having to worry about that. <laughs> um, so you know, I just think the guy's a dreadful, hateful prick, and uh, just anyone that advocates hate and violence for anybody is pretty much not on my Christmas list. Fair not that Anjem would want to be on my Christmas list. I don't want to come across as any way racist. But, um, you know, they're not in my good books. But I noticed David I got back on for about half a day. Did he? I wonder, <laughs> I wonder what went on there because, because Anjam was re-banned. So I wonder how did it come to pass <laughs> that they got, they got re-welcomed re back into the fold uh, but then found their accounts deleted again. I, I, wonder I don't know. What, I like to think it was a case of, right, just to uh, open the floodgates a little bit and they didn't. And someone went, oh, God, no, not them. Not them. <laughs> <laughs> not them. I didn't mean them. And David Icke never sent a tweet in his life, which is which is a really ironic thing. Um, as as you know, and some of our listeners know, I knew David very very well. David doesn't know one yeah. end of a computer from uh, from the next. He certainly had no interest in Twitter. His sons would tweet just articles from the website, but eventually <laughs> he got banned as well. So Musk comes it, in. Nothing is going to change, really. It's just nonsense. It, I think I think we will see. Everyone, see, we've got two approaches here. Everyone wants either complete drastic change overnight or, you know, him to suddenly click his fingers and it'll work or for him to fail. The truth is he's taken over a massive company that was very heavily bloated and losing somewhere in the region of $4 million a day um, hugely overstaffed, you, you know, massive problems, loads of employees doing four hours a week and things like that. He's he's going to want to get that working like his other companies. Now, whether that's a good or a bad thing, I'll leave that up to your listeners. 
But of course, it's being done in the public realm. And now, as you know, on the internet, we have a lot of experts. We had concrete experts around 9-11, many geopolitical experts, uh, the millions of epidemiologists I didn't know existed before COVID. Now they're all business experts. And I, I can't help but think that I love that we live in a time where someone can say without a trace of irony, that billionaire is stupid. Right. As if there's ever been a stupid billionaire. There have well, been there, foolish ones. There have been fortuitous billionaires. I mean, Musk is obviously a bright guy when it comes to to his original company. He obviously knew what he was doing within well, his own he field. Just, he moves in. He, he does what a CEO does. They yeah. don't, they're not the rocket scientists. They don't build the cars. They spot the potential and they make it happen. That's yeah. what they do. And I know it's very fashionable to hate on CEOs and sometimes it's, it's well-deserved. But a lot of time, those guys do a job that most of us couldn't do. Couldn't do it. We lack, uh, we've probably got too much empathy for empathy. one thing. Yeah, you're not um, a psychopath. Yeah. Yeah, and we lack the drive that a lot of these guys have. A lot of us just don't have that. Even the hardest working amongst us, we're not that pathological about work. Um, so he's got a huge job at Twitter um, to try and get that functioning however he does. And also, I think Twitter is not the be-all and end-all. I think Twitter will be a component on this ongoing plan he has to connect everything. And I think Twitter is a very large part of that. Talk to, um, us, I, talk to us for a moment people, about Musk's plan, plans to, yeah, Musk's he, he to connect to everything. a website that provides everything. And I know that sounds vague, but that's very Elon Musk. And does he want your mind to be connected to this? It's Musk. Sure, eventually that would be the plan, wouldn't it? Is, is I mean, that... it makes sense if you're working on Neuralink, but that's gone very quiet for a while. Right. But his cars, everything else, everything interconnected, interdependent. He's building the internet in space. Yes. You know, the, the guys, the guys, the space you know, we, we joke about 4D chess. If you look at the pattern of companies that he puts together, people focus on the silly things like the flamethrower thing. Yeah. You know, and things like they go, oh, look at him. He's a dickhead. Look at yeah. that messing about. So, yeah, the guy's got a lot of satellites in space now. He's Dr. Evil. He's Goldfinger and Pussy Galore well, all rolled into one, great. isn't he? Bring it on. It makes a nice change. But this is not about money. If this guy is behind Neuralink, which we know he is, and he ultimately wants the brain to meet with microchips, to, to connect the brain to computers. That's not really about the betterment of humanity, in my opinion. I've got well, to say, in my opinion. I'm going to say, like euthanasia, there's two sides. Like euthanasia, it's like the euthanasia argument for me. On one side, every human should be afforded the opportunity to die with dignity at a time of their own choosing, particularly if they're going through something that's going to be incredibly painful or very painful for the loved ones. You can't argue with that. What you can say is, yes, but over here, we have the very possible and probable from what we're seeing from the likes of Canada, downsides to that, where people are pushed onto a pathway. We know we've seen that here. And it's you know, this is not conspiracy talk. This is well documented. I've seen it in my life. Um, the Canadians want to hang, hang on. This is really important. The Canadians hmm. are talking very rationally. No, they're not. Jesus, I don't want my listeners to kill me. They, they <laughs> they're talking. No, no, no. They're talking in a way that sounds. I'm talking about Canadian legislate, legislators. Hmm. They are talking in a way that seems very calm 
and saying, yeah. and they're actually talking about allowing teenagers to take their own lives, yes, even if because they're tired of life. If they're tired of in life in Canada. Now, can I just go back now, to something you said a minute ago? Can I just ago? give you a quick story about this? Though it was Do about you? a year or two ago, there was a man. He's um, got a very rare neurological condition, leaves him totally dependent on others, very uncomfortable. People were coming to see him to discuss the idea of ending his life. And he's like, no, I don't want to do that. <laughs> um, I want to live at all, but it'd be very expensive. You know, and it, this is the shady areas. So Neuralink for me, you know, the idea that we could have a device that could take care of Parkinson's, that could, you know, people that lose the language because of a stroke could reprogram part of the brain and things like that are fascinating to me. Yes. I'm also very aware of the negative possibility. Well, this is it. They always sell these things with these wonderfully benevolent um, properties, don't they? Look at this, you know. Mm. So I agree with you. I want to take you back. You said something a moment ago that I disagree with, which is unusual. Mm. You said, uh, dying with dignity, the right of every uh, human being, if yeah. you're terminally ill and it's undignified and it's painful. Now, nobody could disagree with that. However, I'm going to say... I will only agree with that when governments provide the, the, the so-called terminally ill patient with every side of the story. Our governments and the corporate... That's not, that's not disagreeing with me. That's just but, being but you, but you know what, you know what You know what I mean by that? I believe yeah, that there are treatments, natural treatments in existence. I'm not saying that are a cure-all for everything. But our governments and corporations... For, 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 for decades, if not centuries, have been suppressing treatments in the natural world that can help people in all sorts of trouble. I'm saying yes, agree with you, so long as the so-called patient gets every side of the story, but they never do, is what okay, I'm saying. Okay, but here's the thing. Let's say, and may it be many, many, many years in the future for me. Yeah, please uh, God. Right, yeah. You've, got the, you've got dementia. You've got dementia. It's starting. Right. I would want to plan that I, if I could have a peaceful and I wouldn't put my family through the fucking horror. Yes. That is that I can't do that to them. So it should be my option to say, if this is incurable, I will take, I will go at a time of my choosing in a dignified manner that doesn't traumatize anybody. I know some people say, well, you could just throw yourself in front of a train. I don't want to do that to a train driver. No, of course <laughs> not. No, I don't want. Um, I want to jump in that pod and press the button going wherever you're going in a state of euphoria. My concerns are the amount of people that are going to be pushed into those pods. Um, this this is where it's a bit too grey and a bit too vague and I don't anticipate that changing anytime soon. I hope not. So, like everything, it's one of those things, it's always a dilemma, it's always a turmoil, it's always things to think about. And, um, you know, you don't have a silver lining without a cloud. I'll, I'll let that it's one pass. Just, I won't. I won't jump all over that one with two feet. Hey, no, in you, real life, in, in real, real life, life it's, yeah. It's, yeah. Regardless of the reason, be it governments, be it corporations, every silver lining has a cloud. That's what makes it a silver lining. I don't we have to navigate these waters. You and I have have um, watched, I suppose, almost kind of side by side over the last eight nine years this descent into tyranny that we're witnessing at the moment where mm. more and more control 
is sadly, I'd like to say here, more and more control is being wrestled away by governments and corporations when in reality, uh, dipsticks who live around us and live next door to us and uh, who we sometimes work with seem all too happy to just give away uh, their freedoms. The masks are back on, on steroids. Well, the, uh, the status quo is very comfortable for most people. It is. Uh, it's a very, very comfortable place to be. And that's what people want more than anything is comfort security that tomorrow is going to be like today and many people will pay a great cost for that without realizing that they're ensuring tomorrow will not be like will not today. be like today yeah <laughs> earlier on we, we we were listening to some clips from the bbc yesterday where football club supporters took part in a scheme to reduce their carbon footprint and to virtue signal about it and the ones who did the most virtue signaling about it posting videos online about how they were not eating meat on certain days and how they got smart meters in and all of that they were given points and goals i mean Listen, predictive Jim Mars, God love him. I, 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 I'm not sure you were the biggest fan of, of Jim Mars or guys like Jim, but Jim was a terrific. I always journalist. find them interesting, if nothing else. Yeah, you know, it's... Jim was a great, great, great guy, a great writer. He used to talk about predictive programming all the time, and he used to talk about when these little schemes start popping up. He used to say, "Be." Not be afraid. He never said that, but be aware. Be very aware. Imagine that in the future. You know, do you remember? Oh, well, did you see who advises our government on AI? No, who is it? What a time for the line to drop out. This is live. Uh, sorry. Go on. Oh, um, the WEF. The World Economic they're, Forum. Yeah, they're down as the government advisor on AI. Lovely. <laughs> I've said all along. You know, in the West, it's corporations that are screwers and governments. They're just in lockstep. We won't see tyranny like you see in China or North Korea. That's not for us. That's not for us. That's too difficult now. There's an easier way of doing it. And this is what we're seeing. Nobody uses cash anymore. Nobody uses cash anymore. That was so easy. And now we're seeing crypto. I don't know much about crypto at all i'm 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 not a gambler it's it's not my thing but i'm watching these massive companies worth tens and hundreds of billions tumbling all built on a what appears to me to be a ponzi scheme and it's just people are just that was you know everyone said this is freedom decentralized money yeah but it's not is it was it a trojan horse do you think to to somehow get people used to the idea of of centralised digital currencies. We all know that the governments would never cede control of money. No chance. That's, that's no chance. never going to happen. They've been very clear. They want to know what you're spending. Because one of the big complaints, and I wish I could remember where that video was, it was one of the guys that works, I think, for the IMF or something similar saying they want digital currencies in countries because then they can see what people are spending their money on, which leads me you know, to, to believe there's a possibility they'll start telling you what you can spend your money on. And we're just marching into this. We're marching into this because, unfortunately, you know, um, a great many of the people who talk about this a lot also talk about other things that completely knocks all the wheels off the bus. Um, or become increasingly irrational about it, either through anger or being generally irrational. And I know you're not suggesting that people censor themselves. I know you're not doing that. But I understand you. While 
you've got, I, I see this with people, they make a cogent, coherent argument about the totalitarian tiptoe and cashless, <laughs> and then they'll say something banjaxed, just, just absolute out of left field. I've said this to my listeners, you know, about the, there, there are no such thing things as viruses. Some of my listeners tell me viruses don't exist. They've never been proven to be exist. There's no such thing as a virus, Richie. You big feckin' baldy shill. And I'm like, okay. But I, I can't prove you're wrong, but I just go on my own personal experience. But some of these people... Apart from all yes, the scientific I know, evidence is I, that viruses are a naturally occurring phenomena. And not all of them, perhaps, but the problem I have is when they tell me this, tell me that I'm a moron for believing yeah, that a virus yeah, might exist. Yeah, but don't, you can't and call them a moron I'd though. Watch, God forbid. If only I'd watch a three hour video of some sweaty guy with one eye go into the shops ranting at me on YouTube, I would believe. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't believe I, no. I'm, I listen to everything. I, I, I try and give headspace to most things. There's certain things I can't, you know, like flat earthers and things like that. I just yeah. run out of patience. And steam, but I always try and listen and try and understand because even in some of the most outlandish things, when you burrow down, there's often at least a small kernel uh, that, that should definitely alarm you and make you look into things further. Well, that's very, um, that's pretty cerebral, to be honest. It's a, I, I, that, that, that's a very, I think, a noble approach to it. I, mine is much simpler. I just wish that some of these people would extend me the same fucking courtesy that they demand from me, and that is oh, yeah. to accept that I don't fucking see it the way you see it. We can well, coexist. I think all your listeners better pray they hang on to you, by the way. I'm going to change the topic just slightly because there's uh, some of them may know I directed you in my that was some experience that. You know, that I, I was explaining this to Jean Ann Crowley, um, who, who's a um, very accomplished it, actress. So, there's, there's, someone's trying to get hold of me frantically here. Um, but yeah, you, you were a very good actor. They might lose you to Hollywood soon. To, to, to Paul Hollywood, maybe. I might be making cakes on the BBC, maybe. <laughs> Paul Hollywood might come calling. Do you know, do you know I, I said to Jean Ann, I, 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 things were pretty desperate when when when... I, when I showed up for the two days filming, the show had only just returned. Uh, it had yep. been a problem getting it back on on the year. But spending two days around people in their 20s and late 20s was better than any medicine I could have ever had, to be honest. It was an was, absolute was joy. Shoot, but, um, Brilliant. Sadly, I mean, this short's mostly going to festivals and then it's being used to pitch a feature. So a lot of people may not get to see the short this time. I don't. We don't know for sure yet, but I, I've got to say, listen, I wish they could see you in this film. They'll, they'll, we'll have to sort of showing you or something. I wish they could see you in this. You were so good. I was so impressed. It was the role I was born to play, a curmudgeonly, cantankerous, narky bastard who screams at the top <laughs> of his voice. I mean, that's not acting. That's just, uh, that's four o'clock on a Friday. Yeah, well, but you put a, little, a couple of little bits in your, of your own there to build on it, and it was very good. Very good. That, that's, that's, that's me done saying nice things about you now. Well, thanks for that. I mentioned earlier on, people should check out Lips and Unseen to... to well, to name two films that are on the YouTube well, channel Octopus Productions with lips we've not decided properly I think no one even knows this Troma the film company from the states that make Toxic Avenger and all that they want to put lips on their streaming platform fantastic depending on when that happens because um, as you know people have been able to buy lips for a while yeah but what I'm going to do, I think, uh, I've got to let Troma have a crack at it. It's not exclusive, but you've got to be decent. But as soon as it's viable, uh, I think we're just going to release it out into the wild. So people will be able to catch up on that one. 
and then we'll see what happens with Uncle Jack. James um, James Dreyfus is in Lips and it's terrific. Uncle Jack is the film that Hayden gave me a little cameo in. I can't give too much away about it, but it's a drama stroke thriller about um, paedophile hunters. That's all I'll say. Um, kind of a little bit. Oh, yeah. Go on. Kind of, yeah. It's, um, it's good. It was, a, it was a lovely shoot. Bruce Jones was fantastic as Jack. Yeah, he's brilliant, isn't he? Um, yeah, everything, was, it was just one of those. And uh, I, I think, I know we're going to have a cast crew and friends showing. But um, depending on how well it does at the festivals, we might see if we can organise another couple. You can't do too much for a half-hour film, but um, I think it'd be nice for more people to see it. We'll figure something out. Figure something out. Obviously, yeah. obviously, if we're pitching it as a feature, though, we can't be giving the end away. No, so. of course not. Absolutely not. No, <laughs> no. But it was—it it was the uh, most incredible experience. I had a brief experience at Salford Uni when I did my postgraduate degree years ago. And I played um, amazingly. I played. I played a shemale in a in a in a little student film, a five minute film. And talk about the role you were born. Uh, born to play. to play. Born to play. And we did um, two days on that. And uh, I remember just being amazingly impressed with the attention to detail. I mean, you had set designers down there. You had a full crew basically. You had continuity mm. people. Just terrific Ass- assistant director, cinematographer, and. Uh, Wonderful stuff, really, to be just have a, li- a little window into it. So it's almost like a holiday. Oh, it's great, fantastic. Well, we're, yeah, we're working on. We got. We believe it or not, a documentary on the basic rollers next. Uh, the long story, um, music video, and then it's heads down because we're going to be shooting our first feature um, probably towards the spring next year. Um, Is so this I've a got horror? to finish. Yeah, it's definitely a horror film. Um, it's definitely a horror film. Fantastic. Fact, my, been, my favorite genre. It, one of the rare things where I'm reading back, you know, through the script and the outlines and things, thinking, oh, that's a bit strong. <laughs> You're saying <laughs> it's a bit me, strong. And that's me saying that. Jesus. <laughs> you know, so, but we'll, uh, we'll get you in that as well. We'll get you in that as well. One of the very first things, Hayden, thanks very much. One of the first things we ever talked about when we first met Hayden and myself was our shared love of horror films. And Hayden is only about four, three or four, five years older than, than I am. But he has a, he, he, that five years is crucial because he remembers the banning of I Spit oh, On yeah. Your Grave and The Driller Killer and Cannibal the video nasty Holocaust. Years where <laughs> right. my, my dad gave the local video shop instructions and I they were remarkably wise. Any horror film, I say, as long as it's not reality-based. So Zombie Flesh Eaters, fine. Last house on the left, not no, fine. Right. And yeah, they were very reasonable rules. Um, Is that what your dad said to the video shop owner? He oh, said, yeah, yeah, because he knew the guy. So he was like, he put the laws down and the guy stuck to But I'd be wandering in there at like pretty much my son's age, maybe 11. Um, and he'd be like, got one for you. And from under the counter would come the Evil Dead in a black and white <laughs> photocopy cover. Or City of the Living Dead, and yeah. Zombie Flesh Eaters, and Dawn of the Dead. But they were. A lot of them were cut versions that were then banned. And then I'm fortunate enough at my age, around the age of 60, I went away to study makeup effects, came home, got in with the fanzine crowd, the horror fanzine yeah, crowd. Yeah. I was about, must have been 16, 17, and that opened the floodgates because I, I was getting dodgy VHS tapes of everything. Now, was that when your outrage at somebody holding that power over you, that outrage that somebody could decide for you what is suitable for you to see and what isn't. Yeah. Was it around about then that you... Because that's probably as, as political. As I was growing into an adult, it's, it's something yeah. that didn't sit well with me. It still doesn't. You, 
no one should tell me what fiction I can consume. It, yeah. It's ridiculous. Yeah. It's ridiculous. It is ridiculous, yeah. Um, none of the arguments work. That thing that they, 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 they always mix up causation and correlation. And it's all a nonsense. It's like for Junior, with my son, he listens to heavy metal a lot. He drums now. He's a heavy metal drummer. He's already playing along with Slayer and Carcass and things like that. Carcass. Jesus Christ. Yeah, oh, he loves really <laughs> heavy music. And I'll indulge him in that, but I won't have rap in my house. Um, you racist because, bastard. What's wrong with yes, the rap? Uh, I've read the lyrics. Well, fair enough, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I don't I don't give a fuck about talking about monsters and dragons and zombies and politics, but if you're talking about raping a hoe, I'm not having it. I'm yeah. not having it. These are the lines I draw in the sand for my son. I, and know, I, I, I totally respect that, and I wouldn't even dare to argue with you, but because you brought it up, I'm going to argue with you. Is he not, clever, is he not clever enough to know that this is just a dipstick saying... Raping oh, a hoe. Sure he knows this. He's right? clever enough, but do you know what part of it is? I'm trying to raise my son to be understanding and respectful of of everyone, you know, until they give him a reason not to be. Yeah. I'm trying to raise him as a good kid. I'm trying to raise him to be polite and decent and considerate. And he's turned into this wonderful, witty, ferociously fucking intelligent. To he's the point a lovely of kid, isn't he? Being infuriating, and I, I I want to protect him from aspects of life he doesn't need to know about yet. And we talked about this before because the relationships and sex education curriculum is obviously something that mm. you and, and your your wife, Margaret, who it was amazing to meet yeah. Margaret, boy. Again, <laughs> listeners won't know this. I've known Hayden for nearly 10 years and we know each other very well and, and we don't use the term friends very often, either of us, because it's an overly used term. Friends are very rare. But um, we're proper mates. We're proper friends, him him and me. And the first time in 10 years I met Margaret was on the shoot. And it was an absolute yeah. uh, joy to, to, to meet her. And I understood so much more about you by meeting her. Because you're very private. <laughs> well, For a guy who's very yeah, public on the internet and on private, Twitter. Very, very private people, people. Yeah, yeah, I like that. Yeah, we just, we live our little lives. And, um, you know, it, it's, it's just the way we are. I've never been the most social of people. Yeah. And... I guess like finds like. Yeah. Yeah, that's it. That's <laughs> you know, right. We just, yeah, we just, you know, we just, you keep your little borders and your boundaries that keep you sane and um, live your life accordingly. That's not saying, I mean, there's, you know, people are free to be social butterflies. It please them. I find it very uncomfortable though. And um, so I, I built my life in a way that makes me comfortable. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and amen to that. Just very briefly before we, because we are kind of out of time now. Um, I yeah. want to say to folks, check out the YouTube channel, Black Octopus Productions. If you can still rent Lips, if you still can, I recommend you do rent it. It's a terrific little film. James Dreyfus is brilliant, is it? As is the other actor whose name escapes me now because I'm an idiot. But, um, Paul Dudney. Yeah, brilliant. Dudney. Two, two great guys. Um, and it was a pleasure doing um, uh, uh, Uncle Jack, that little role that you gave me. I, 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 yeah, I won't say it's great on set. Like I say, we will be doing that again. We will be doing that again. Be fun, yeah. That's, that's, that's going to happen fun. again. Thanks for coming on today. Is there, is there anything else you want to give a, a mention to? Do you know, oh. do you know here, here's one for you. Um, this is on the website now from Jay uh, James. Massive shout out to Hayden for his amazing short film stroke documentary. It's not a documentary. It's a, it's a film unseen. He says, what a fantastic, genuine, sad, but brilliant watch. Oh, thank you so much. He works with the homeless and he feels this should be seen by everyone. And, uh, I echo that too, because 
um, the star of Unseen is also in Uncle Jack, and it was lovely to meet yes. him. Yeah. Yeah, uh, Stephen Steve, uh, yeah. Kerry Stopford, lovely guy. He um, talented guy. His first role ever was Unseen. Yeah, his amazing, isn't main, it? Main major role, and that was difficult. That was like fifteen pages of monologue. You know, um, he lent us his kitchen for lifts, which was where we took over his house for a day. And uh, yeah, he's he's in Uncle Jack, and he he's just gets good, stronger and stronger. Well, he's, but he's a good-looking faker, guy as well. and he's a good-looking faker. This is the thing he's. Oh, he, he looks great. He looks great on yeah. film. My, looks great the, on film. The, the, my greatest barrier to to I nearly said celluloid success. Jesus, what's wrong with me? There's no celluloid anymore. <laughs> but the greatest barrier is is this big baldy egg of a head that I was um, was cursed with at birth. But um, no, it was, it was an amazing experience made. I, I think you're it. being very hard on yourself, Richie. That's not the only reason. That's not the only reason. Yeah, yeah. Thank you very much. Boom, boom. Right, get off. We'll speak again real soon. Yes. But thanks for your time today, as always. Been a pleasure as always, mate. Thank you very much. Thanks, Hayden. The great Hayden Hewitt there, director, producer uh, for Black Octopus Productions, a new, young, very young Manchester-based film company, which is doing amazing things. I'm not just saying that because he's my pal. It really is. Check out the films on YouTube and he's going places. Of course, he came into our lives as the man behind LiveLeak.com. Hayden Hewitt on Tuesday's Richie Allen show. It's four minutes past the hour. Did we trigger anybody, did we? By having a pop at them over, um, you know, flat earth and, and no viruses. I hope we didn't because that's not the point. The point is we have to learn to live with the fact that people don't see things the way we want to see them or the way we might want them to see them. You've got to learn to live with that. I, I get some astonishing emails and I laugh out loud. I show them to people. Look at this. This chap, he's been listening for years. Look at him. For years I've been listening. But I'm never listening again. And then you see it's because of something like the viruses or something like that. And you're like, Jesus, do I not have something stored up in the bank? Like, You know, a guy sent me an abusive email, which is absolutely hysterical. And then I thought, I've heard from this guy before. So I went back. And about a year ago, I swear to God, this guy's name is Phil, by the way. Phil, if you're listening, it's you. And about a year ago, he sent me this beautifully emotional and very well written email about how the lockdowns really screwed him up, but how the show had kind of helped him get through the lockdown and how laughing with me at the silliness during the monologues had kind of preserved a little bit of sanity in his life and he loved it. But then a year later... He hears something on the internet that he agrees with and he likes it, but he can't convince me to 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 give my to give my what's the word, my blessing to this idea, and because of that I'm now a bastard. <laughs> this is the world of an independent radio content producer. I'm hanging on in there, I'm the voice is still there tonight, thank God, just about. I know I don't sound anywhere, anything like I ordinarily sound, but I'm, I'm hanging in there. Nicola Lund will be on the programme shortly. She's a former teacher and a journalist, and she's very, very listenable. It's been a while since Nic Nicola was on. We'll talk to her shortly. In the meantime, I'll be back with you in 42 
Seconds, 42. Colds, seasonal flu and respiratory diseases, a nuisance, but we all get them. Now more than ever, it is essential to have a robust immune system. Inspired by the Zelenko Protocol, Immunex 365 is a unique formulation that combines effective levels of vitamins D3, C and K2, as well as zinc and quercetin. Take back your health with just two capsules of Immunex 365 every day. As a special launch offer to UK listeners of The Richie Allen Show, you will receive Receive a discount of 15% by using the code RichieAllen365 at checkout. Go to immunex365.co.uk to get yours now and with free two day track delivery. Right, I don't know what's going on there. <laughs> this feckin' machine. That's what it is. This feckin', feckin', feckin' machine. That's what you were supposed to hear, funny enough, was this, wasn't it? Richie Allen. Yeah, that's what you were supposed to hear. It's seven minutes past the hour. I was going to take another track. When I say another track, I, I on the car crash that was Sunday Morning Melodies, I played a song from Bruce Springsteen's new album, which is an album of soul covers. Do you know what? I'm going to play another one. Sod the Lottie. Here's Night Shift, the great Night Shift, as sung by Bruce Springsteen on his brand new cover album, which is entitled Only the Strong Survive. And it's also entitled Covers 1, or Covers Volume 1. So presumably, Bruce will be giving us another album of covers, maybe next year. I don't care. If Bruce was to sing Norwegian folk songs in the Norwegian language, I'd be the first one there at Tower Records to buy it, so I would. I'd be there in a heartbeat. Time is uh, coming up for eight minutes past six. It's your Richie Allen Show, live from BBG Towers. It's hard to believe, but this is Bruce Springsteen singing Night Shift. I'm doing a good job too, if I don't. But I don't mind saying so. Nicola Lund is next. Stay with me. Stay with me, I said. Mark. Yeah, that is uh, Bruce Springsteen from Only the Strong Survive. It's Night Shift album of covers, as I mentioned. It's coming up for uh, 12 minutes past six. It's the 15th of November, 2022. It's Richie Allen with you till seven o'clock. And uh, I'm glad you're still here. Thanks for the comments. There are many of them on the climate change stuff and and more besides. We'll talk about that with, uh, with Nicola. You can find Nicola at conservativewoman.co.uk. Find her on Twitter. She's at Mrs. Lund. That's A, at even, at MRS uh, Lund. She's a former teacher and a brilliant writer. She's been on the programme in the past and it's a real pleasure to welcome her back today. Kind of a state of the union thing. We're going to put the world to rights, Nicola. Welcome back. How are you? Hi, Richie. I'm very good, thank you. Lovely to be back. Thanks uh, for having me. Not at all. It's lovely to have you. Thanks. You graced the show with your presence. Brilliant to have you back, Nicola. You wanted to clear something up. We spoke last year after Jackie Devoy had made um, a film uh, called A Good Death about the use of midazolam in in senior patients, particularly senior patients who who were in hospital with COVID or other respiratory problems. And um, Jackie's film, The Thesis, as you know, is that midazolam is a suppressant and it um, it, it, it is, her belief is, and, and it comes across in the film, that it was actually hastening the death of people who might otherwise have survived. Um, we talked about this on 
the show last year and, and at the time your your aunt had gone in, into hospital and you had written a, a brilliant piece in Conservative Woman about this where you were shocked to discover that a do not resuscitate order had been placed on your aunt without her uh, consent and you talked about Madazalam at the time. I think there was something you wanted to clear up before we before we continue. Yes. Um, funny enough, I was actually involved in The Good Death. Um, I met Jackie and she interviewed me for that. Of course, um, you're on the film, yeah. But I, a few of us were, were interviewed and weren't included because they simply had too many people in the end. They had to cut it down. But um, yeah, the day I spoke to you, I had heard of the midazolam thing and I happened to go back to my aunt's notes because I requested all her notes when she came out of hospital and I saw midazolam in her written down there with morphine and I at first glance I thought she'd actually been given midazolam but she hadn't I subsequently found out that it was in a list of anticipatory medications which is called the PRN the prorenata so um I just wanted to clarify that I found out since that she wasn't actually given it, although she was given morphine, um, which she was allergic, which she's allergic to. And um, we've sort of taken it further since we've gone to the health board to ask why this um, combination of medications was put in the PRN, because it contravenes MHRA, gui- MHRA guidelines, which state that extreme caution should be given in administering midazolam to anybody over 60, and she was 87, almost 88 at the time. And it also states that, you know, it, it suppresses uh, respiratory function. So um, we have chased it up, as I said, with the health board. There's been a, it's taken 18 months altogether since I spoke to you. Um, they've been obfuscating, they've been replying um, they've been evading, you know, all mention of the MHRA and their um, their guidelines. Um, but but they have actually recently got back in touch with us, and they have, in a roundabout way, admitted that it they, it was there as a sort of end of life care pathway. It's actually, I've got it in front of me here. It says, um, um, in Mrs. Thomas's case, her name is Mrs. Thomas. These medications were prescribed as a precautionary measure and would have been given to ensure her comfort had her condition deteriorated and it was thought that she would not survive from COVID-19. Although having said that, the the notes also show that they they weren't actually sure. I mean, there's no way she had COVID because she had been without human contact for 13 days and when she went in, I was there. I was admit. I was in the house when the first responder said that she, all her obs were fine, and he only wanted to go, wanted her to go in because she'd had a fall, and she couldn't support her weight on her walking frame. So there's no way she had COVID. But it does state in her notes: question mark COVID nineteen onset question mark consolidation consistent with bacterial pneumonia. So that I believe she had hospital acquired pneumonia in the end, but she she's obviously she's fine now, she's home. Um but she's very worried about going into hospital in the future, you know. That's a scary thing, Precisely. isn't it? We we talked about this last year to to learn that somebody had put a do not resuscitate order on you without you having agreed to it. It's it doesn't get much more 
spooky, really. I can't imagine. I, I mean, I totally understand why she might be worried about ever having having to go back, uh, Nicola. What do you think, um, not to shift totally from that, because that is important and that's going to resonate with a lot of people listening to this today, no doubt about that. What, what do you think people, you know, who've gone through that and people who know about midazolam and how it was used and the part the British government played in procuring the midazolam, when they see the health secretary of the day, as he was at the time, he's not now, Matt Hancock in Australia being paid nearly half a million pounds by ITV to be on a game show. What, 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 how does that, do you think, how is that sitting with people? Well, it's a complete joke, isn't it? It's a complete insult to people who've lost family members, you know, whether to COVID or not, you know, it's, uh, words fail me, to be honest. When you, when it sounds <laughs> when like... You, when I think about Matt Hancock. Yeah, Matt Hancock. I think it's best left there, actually. I think you're right. It sounds like he's getting a relatively easy ride over there. Uh, I, 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 Like you, I couldn't bear to watch it full stop, let alone with Matt Hancock in it, but it sounds like there is a journalist in there and it was hoped that she might ask him a few questions. Maybe she has done, maybe it hasn't made the edit, but um, no, the less said about about the guy, the, the better. Um, so COP27 then has been taken, taking place in, in, in Egypt at, at Sharm al-Sheikh and you were particularly taken with some of the reporting of it by the BBC, Nicola. Well, um, I, I don't pay a lot of attention to the BBC. I have a look on it every day just to see what the propaganda is at the moment. But I have noticed that um, Klaus Schwab has been there, I think, if I'm right in saying. Schwab has been there. Everybody has been there, um, really. Yeah. The, the fascinating thing at the beginning of it was was that the UK Prime Minister had originally d- declared that he wouldn't be attending on account of the economic crisis raging here at the moment that his time needed to be spent here and yet there was a bit of an outcry and before you knew it he was on a plane and I just wonder Nicola I know it's easy to you know to add two and two together and come up with five but does it give us a kind of an inkling or a clue as to maybe who's really calling the shots here and maybe it isn't the Prime Minister of the day whoever that happens to be. Oh absolutely I think it's all pantomime at the end of the day you know is he going to go isn't he? Um I'm surprised Mark Drakeford's not there, actually, because um, I've been looking into the Welsh government and, well, the, Mark Drakeford and Wales was the first country in the world to declare a climate emergency in 2019. And um, this is what I've been sort of studying lately. I've been researching some of the documents that are online relating to Welsh government plans, because he's actually pledged that he's going to put the climate crisis at the heart of everything he does. At the heart and, of every uh, policy? Yes, yeah. And I've, I've started a Substack page as well. The first thing I published on there was something called the Green Green Costly Homes of Future Wales because I found on the, on the Welsh Government website, not a conspiracy, <laughs> it's a report called Better Homes, Better Wales, Better World. And basically... It's saying that, um, you know, because of the, well, the sixth, what do they call it now? The sixth mass, mass extinction, extinction event yeah, that we are facing. Right. Yeah. Um, everybody, well, new bills excluded because I think obviously they're 
they're okay at the moment. But everybody is going to have to decarbonise their homes in Wales by the year 2050. What does that um, mean, Nicola? Yeah. I'm really sorry to interrupt you, but you know we've got loads of time. I'm really sorry to interrupt you because I know you're on a bit of a roll there. But what does that mean to decarbonise your home? Um, well, basically, um, they're going to be getting rid of sort of um, heating systems which are bad for the environment, you know, running on. I mean, we've got oil here in Pembrokeshire, so that's going to be um, a no-no by, by 2050. Um, they, they're looking at things like, I think, air source and heating. Um, and I'm not These terribly okay with all the different types of heating, but no. I know that some of them, my husband's been saying that some of them involve digging up your floors because you have to have underfloor heating. Yeah. And it, it's going to cost, well, it says in this report, um, tens of billions of pounds by 2050. Yeah, it and could it's cost them. It could okay. cost no, no. It could cost at least thirty thousand uh, pounds per household. This is the 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 heating pump which they dig up your garden, don't they? And it goes this 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 pump comes through. It, it extracts heat from the soil from the ground, and then it convects that heat under your house and into your house from from underneath. And one of these things before the economic crisis which I believe is manufactured anyway they're looking at £30,000 and upwards so this is the sort of thing they're talking about in Wales also yeah Yes but I'm, I'm afraid to say it's not just Wales I've looked briefly as well and it's, it's going to be all over the UK because if you they also call it retrofitting and you can Google it and um, if you Google retrofitting homes and gov.uk, you, you find that it's coming to, well, England, Scotland, Ireland. Um, and, and it, you know, here, for example, on the England, on the England, the government website, it says that meeting the government's carbon goals will require the vast majority of UK's 27 million homes to be virtually zero carbon by 2050. And um, as I said, Scotland, Scotland apparently is going to be slightly more complex due to its comparatively high proportion of flats. There's 40% of flats and apartments in Scotland compared to 18% in England, 10% in Wales. But in Wales, I know that they they are talking about um, uh, collaborating with banks and financial institutions. So whether they're going to offer interest-free loans or, or... they, they, they run about establishing a green finance group in Wales. And you know um, what, Nicola, you know what, if if they collaborate with financial institutions and they and the governments persuade banks to loan people the 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 means, the money to decarbonize their homes, well, you're looking at you're certainly going to be looking at a certain amount of repossessions, aren't you? I mean, interest-free or not, it's going to result in some people ultimately losing their homes, right? Well, exactly. And it's just reminding me of the is a phrase that we're all, well, a lot of us are, uh, have heard about from Klaus Schwab, you know, you will own nothing and you will be happy. Yeah. It's, uh, it's, I think people are going to have to, yeah, possibly borrow against their homes and, and probably end up 
never owning them. Who knows? I got a terrible fright on this programme a few months ago. And I don't often get a fright, but I did get a fright. Because we're kind of more or less homeowners now after buying in, in Salford here in uh, in, in um, near Media City. So I'd, we'd rented for our entire time together before that and I'd rented as a as a single man. And when we came to buy this house or, or put a deposit down and get a small mortgage as we did three years ago, we we saw an energy rating chart on the house details. And me being, I can be incredibly naive, Nicola. I, I just thought that, um, right, that, that this was just a little guide, you know, for the buyer, basically. I thought this was a guide for the buyer and that I could look and say, okay, the house is energy band C, so it needs to be, you know, it could be a little better at keeping the heat in or whatever. So th- this is how naive I am. And I interviewed this uh, barrister called Robert Hansen. He's been on a couple of times. He might be on again in the near future. And Robert said to me, and he was so cold about it. He's not a cold man. He's a gregarious uh, guy, very good guest. But he says to me, Richie, this is ultimately about decommissioning homes. These uh, Eventually, you'll never be able to get your house, he said, to the energy rating, uh, efficiency rating, that they require. So he said, in the future, some houses are going to be condemned. And he's right. I looked into this. He's absolutely right, Nicola. And you know this. You're a former teacher. You're a journalist. I don't think very many people in this country know that. No. And, I mean, in Wales in particular, the average EPC rating is band D. I mean, our house in particular is a band D. We're D here, I've always wondered why, really, they did it, because we weren't particularly bothered when we saw that ours was a bandy. We fell in love with the house. We wanted to buy it. But I've always, it's always been in the back of my mind. I've always wondered what the purpose of these EPCs really is. And it looks now like, um, well, they're talking about um, having a home log book. So um, this would be the new EPC. And they're going to be free, according to this report, in the first instance um and they're going to be guiding all decisions so so basically it looks like you won't be able to apply for planning permission or sell your home or even rent a property if it doesn't come to you know conform to a minimum of a certain um, energy rating yes that's and what robert saying said that the, the log books would be free for initial period and um and it's and it's promoting a, a robust regime, if you listen to the language, Richie, a robust regime advocated for logbooks for all homes from from 2025. A robust regime. So we're, yes. we're, we're only three years away then from, from, from these logbooks being imposed on people. And you're right, Robert um, said this to me. He said you will be excluded from renting or listing selling, as you said, your home, if you are not within, if you're not in the right band, if you're not in the right bracket. This house we're in is a, is a D also. It's 100 years old plus. Because uh, I have a, a feeling the, the older these houses tend to be in places like Salford, the better they are. They're, they're magnificent buildings, really. They're almost impervious to anything. The bricks are so, they're, they were so well built these 100 years ago. Um, but it's the older housing stock they want rid of. They they want them gone basically, um, and and hence this 
this energy rating system and you reckon by 2025 in comes the logbook and Drakeford and Wales I, thanks for reminding me because I'd forgotten that and I didn't hadn't, hadn't thought of that for some time Wales was the first country to say yeah we're going to go carbon neutral before anybody else yeah. did in 2019 and Wales I don't think he was as bad as Nicholas Sturgeon or you could I don't think it's fair to claim that but he was fairly authoritarian when it came to COVID, wasn't he as well, Drakeford? Oh, absolutely. I mean, my, I can remember my father's got a small business um, and that's another worry because there are people out there who own properties, business, you know, um, commercial properties and they're probably going to be required to decarbon. Well, obviously, if, the homes, if they're going to look at homes, they're going to look at business properties as well, you'd think. But my, yeah, my father was, um, he was, most aggrieved because he had to close down his business during the lockdown. Although he did actually, um, <laughs> he had a few customers coming in the back door, and uh, but the, the council did actually catch a couple of people in there one day. And it was just, it's, you have to laugh now. Looking, yeah, paperwork, you know, he was served with sort of papers. Nothing went. It, it didn't go any further. It didn't go to court or anything. But he's got paperwork that you know they're saying. Customers were seen browsing the cards because he sells greetings cards. Yeah, and it's just you know it's just completely ludicrous when you look back on it now. Ludicrous and arbitrary. Craig is listening to this with interest. He says there are two types of heat pumps. There are ground source and air source heat pumps. Air ground source, yeah. ground source, he says, is the most expensive because. You need to have a bit of land and indoor space. The air source is comparatively cheaper, but but by no means cheap. Uh, both are inefficient and very expensive to run. And just to back up what he says there, Craig, I've heard so-called experts on all um, uh, the the twenty-four the hour media, whether it's Sky or the BBC or, or or GB News, and they've all said that these things are very very inefficient and very very expensive. In 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 terms of a lot of people will not be able to afford these things and might have to take out a loan in order to uh, to be able to install them. It's quite um, it's quite sinister, really, to be talking about these things because I've heard the phrase a million times. I'm both of us are Celts, Nicola. You're Welsh. I'm I'm Irish. But an Englishman's home is his castle. Could this be the straw that breaks the camel's back? I wonder. Could this be the thing that stirs Middle England, Middle Wales, Nicola, when people realise that they might be coming for their houses? Might that be the kick in the backside that's needed? Well, I sincerely hope so. I mean, I I am trying to sort of um, spread the word and get this sent to as many people as I can just to to look at. But... I don't know whether they, be, you know, believe it. I mean, it is a report, but it, it's it's bound to come to fruition. It's um, nothing's been mentioned in the in the mainstream about it yet. However, I did notice last week that Laura um, Kunzberg of the BBC has um, made a freedom of information request uh, regarding public sector buildings, which will have to decarbonise and the you know the potential cost of that. So it is starting to be talked about. So it's getting some some airtime. I'm a little bit disappointed and you'll probably think I'm naive. Um, And I'm going to talk about the conservative broadcast media. 
So it's because of people like you that I began reading The Conservative Woman online. I recommend it, by the way, folks. Check out conservativewoman.co.uk and you'll find articles written by Nicola there this year and going back um, the last few years as well. Nicola is a former teacher and a journalist. Uh, Nicola Lund, it's great to have her on the programme. Live from Wales, from Pembrokeshire today, uh, this evening. I'm a bit disappointed. I I, I have a, a bit of a a bit of a schoolboy crush on Julia Hartley Brewer. And I say that with tongue firmly in cheek. I don't really, but I've always enjoyed her on the radio, going way back when she was at LBC. Uh, I Like myself, she can ask a question that takes 20 minutes, so we'll forgive her for that sometimes. But she's not bought this nonsense, this, this idea that man-made CO2 is going to bring about um, the most cataclysmic weather events in the future. I think she's on board with the idea that man-made CO2 is having some impact. And fair enough, she might believe that, and that's her own business. But uh, she doesn't believe in the horror stories as put forward by Just Stop Oil and others. And she's been exasperated, and she's done her bit, I think, to try and pour water on that stuff. But outside of that, you look across the conservative broadcast media, Nicola, they're not doing enough to take this stuff on, are they? No, well, it's just no debate. No. You know, we are in a climate emergency, we are facing a mass extinction and and that's that's it. Um we, we we there was another thing I've been looking at is the the transport strategy, the Welsh government's tra- transport strategy which was published last year. Um where they're even talking about moving a, a, well a shift away from private uh, car ownership. Hang on a second. Hang on a second. And how exactly do they describe achieving this moving away from private car ownership? Well, um, basically, what they're saying that the report is called Soiber Newydd, which means a new path in Welsh, and it's basically um, it's saying that the government wants to change the way the the people of Wales work, live and travel. So they bring services to people. So it's like the 15 minute or the 20 minute neighbourhood um, that you may have heard of. So, you know, they want to increase the density of cities in particular, um, where everything is going to be within 15 or 20 minutes of your front door. So you won't necessarily need a car. Um, and they're, to- you know, they're talking about that. You can see already. I know in certain parts of Wales, they're um, they're building sort of transport hubs. They've got one in the Ronda. They're, they're trying to they're building a big bus depot next to the railway station, and they're talking about um, car sharing, bike sharing, even. Um, oh, there's active travel. There's this, they have this sustainable transport. They have this tra- transport hierarchy now in 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 mind for the future where it's like an when to look at it visually you see like an inverted triangle where at the top at the widest part you've got cars um sorry not cars you've got walking and cycling and scooting and then and, and right down the, at the bottom then you've got cars so they're they, they're going to obviously try and they're going to have so many electric car parking spaces in towns um, a minimum of ten percent, it says, but it doesn't say a maximum. You know what the maximum might be. So they, they probably, they, in my opinion, they're probably going to try and squeeze people 
out of you know these parking areas in town get them to use buses and and probably incentivize it in some way give people apps give people free coffees who knows you know for for using for walking more and using their bikes more and there are, the bbc has even reported that in in years to come you know petrol stations might start disappearing so maybe in rural areas where like i'm living in a rural area maybe there'll be fewer and fewer petrol stations i, I think they're just going to coerce people slowly and it's, it's quite, it's quite depressing. I, don't, I hope I'm not no, no, no. Listen, much, but. it's important. I understand you thinking, Jesus, I'm, I'm, I'm bringing people down. You're not. You're not. This is hugely important because it is happening. And it's funny you mention rural areas. I mean, they've always done it, haven't they? They, they started with post offices and banks, didn't they? They made it very difficult for people living in the countryside to access vital services. And an old pal of mine, uh, a writer, friend of mine. He said years ago, Richie, ultimately this agenda, this green agenda, it wants people away from the land anyway. So it wants to move people into cities, which I think they've described as human settlement zones. So they want to decommission the countryside anyway, at least as far as pe- people living in it um, goes. So, yeah, and and petrol stations, no doubt that's you're, you're, you're onto something there. We know, Nicola Dewey, that... They've already agreed to ban the sale of diesel cars after 2030. Is that right? I think petrol and diesel. And I've got a feeling that hybrids will be banned after 2035 as well. And they're also talking about delivering a strategy of fair road user charging in Wales. Fair road use you usage charging or user charging road you know, user charging yeah in other words that you you, you kind of have to have a bloody good reason to be on the road and if we don't think it's a good reason we can fine you for it we're, we're seeing that already in london in certain parts of london um they've told people who live in certain communities that they can't drive through certain neighborhoods this was in the press a couple of weeks ago that was um ironically something i talked about during the the very first lockdown I said it won't be too long before you know, they'll start telling you, you you can't drive here on certain days and you can't drive there on certain days. It's the speed, Nicola, with which this is happening. This is the thing that really grips me. It's all coming together. It's coalescing well, so quickly, isn't it? Yeah, so it's gone into overdrive since lockdowns. And it's my opinion that the, the lockdowns were just priming people for this, you know, with this, especially the working from home, because... The Welsh Government had been planning for public sector, 30% of public sector workers to work from home since before COVID. So this has obviously served their purpose. And I think it was, to me, it felt like a mass social experiment when they were telling people to stay home. Nicola, hang on. This is I didn't know this. So before anybody ever heard of COVID, the Welsh Government was looking for public sector, they were looking for 30% of public sector workers to work at home and that initiative was down to saving the planet was it yes now there was there's one i'm not sure if it was the 2017 to 27 sorry 2027 health strategy for wales it might have been that one or it might have been another report i think it was called the decarbonate oh what was it called it was something to do with carbon and and um, oh, I can't think at the top of my head anyway um, but yes they wanted a feasibility study to be carried out by the end of 2022 for 30% of NHS 
um, workers to work remotely. And that was before COVID. I think it was the NHS. That's really interesting. Strategy or something like that. I should have made a note of it. And now, as you said, they've 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 they've, they've used COVID, and they're mentioning even when they're talking about this this new green world, this new approach to to decarbonisation. You know, they're they're even mentioning lessons learned during the pandemic. This is a term you hear all the time, isn't it? We can apply lessons learned during the pandemic because during the pandemic, you know, people stayed at home. We saw less CO2 and I hear this all the time. What part do you think um, Just Stop Oil and Extinction Rebellion are playing in in the rollout of this? Now that might sound like a stupid question but the reason I ask it is because if this is part of an agenda and if this has been manipulated by 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 forces, by people, I would have thought that Just Stop Oil and Extinction Rebellion were a bit of a known goal and were unlikely, to, you know, to get the public on board with with this decarbonisation agenda. So I find that strange. Like I was listening to Sky on Friday and the BBC and each Just Stop Oil activist who came on was even more crazy. And I shouldn't use terms like that, maybe. But they're even more manic than the previous one, you know, apocalyptic and stuff. And I don't see that convincing people um, so much. What do you make of that? I don't know. Maybe they, maybe the young, younger generation, you know, the millennials might be taken in by it a bit more. But right. yes, it's not doesn't wash with with no, a lot of people. No, I agree with you. I think I think those those young ish people. I think they are completely caught up in it, and 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 they believe what it is they're saying. But they're also being positioned like pawns on a chessboard. And I, I just think maybe it'll be an own goal. I hope that more people will listen to them, if that sounds strange, and, and, and say to themselves, oh, this is madness. Like, we're not going to be under five feet of water in in, in Manchester or in, in Coventry in, in 20 years' time. This is just nonsense. I, I, you know, I hold out some hope that this um, doom-mongering will actually you know, alert people to the fact the whole thing is a bloody scam. But anyway, I, I'm sorry for interrupting you there. You were you were just about to go on to say something else. Um, I'm, I'm not sure what I was going to go on to say, but um, yeah, one of the other things, well, one of the other things I post, uh, posted on on Substack is it's called Message to Wales on your bike. It's, it's This is a, the one about the transport strategy. And they're also talking about um, a new path for freight, um, which includes co-locating manufacturing, energy, leisure and tourism with ports and freight hubs. Um, they're supporting interventions that will shift freight from road to rail and water-based transport. They'll move goods through um, multimodal hubs and shared logistics. So they've obviously, you know, gone into this in, in great detail. And this was, you know, this, this was published last year. This has obviously been in the pipeline for for longer than that. And you said earlier on, Drakeford plans to put climate at the heart of every policy, whether that be his government's educational policies, whether it be their, obviously, transport policies, but anything, you know, housing, anything. 
and undoubtedly that's the same here in England. It'll be the same in in Scotland, and no political opposition to this today, which is obviously unsurprising. But there used to be a lot of political opposition to it, and amazingly, on the left, when you think back, people like Tony Benn, even Jeremy Corbyn, back in the day, they, they were. You know, they they seem to understand that this was nonsense. You know, this climate change uh, scenario, this 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 theory was absolute nonsense. But today, nothing, nothing, not even from the back benches of the Conservative Party. No, and I touched upon it with my member of the Senate, um, who happens to be a Tory, and I've been to see him a few times and. I've mentioned my concerns and, and and even as a member of the opposition here in Wales, he's not really, you know, he's fully, he seems to be fully aligned with, with the green agenda. You think he believes it, Nicola? It's hard to tell, is it? Who knows? Eh? Yeah, it's hard to <laughs> but tell. I have, I have an appointment with him in December, so. Yeah, I mean, he might do. This is the thing. I mean, uh, I'm... I tell you where I am. I think a lot of them do. I mean, they don't think very hard. Politicians in general, they're given documents, they're given brochures. Think tanks tell them the way things are, and they just deliver that message to their constituents or to the media. They don't tend to think an awful lot about. Well, we saw this during COVID, didn't we? I mean, the the the, the entire of the entirety of the. House of Commons opposition, Labour and the Lib Dems and the Greens all just went along with the government. Nobody said, hang on a second, this is going to kill people. This is going to create a very serious health situation in the next few years. This is going to bankrupt the uh, the country. Nobody, they all went along with it. And I'm seeing the same with um, with with climate. When For me, it's pretty easy to to deconstruct and to pull apart the whole theory that CO2, that man-made CO2 is going to wreck the climate in the future and make the world uninhabitable. It's nonsense. And that's the only thing that I'm very sure of saying, you know, is that it's a nonsense theory. And it is not supported by the majority of scientists on this planet. It isn't. There are many tens of thousands of scientists, um, but they're just, as we saw during COVID, Nicola, they're not permitted to sit in on any of the BBC or Sky programmes to say what it is they believe. Exactly. And and, and most people don't know the, the actual difference between weather and climate. No. There is a difference. You know, they see changeable weather and changing weather patterns possibly. And then and then they, they believe then that that is climate change that they're witnessing. They even admitted, didn't they? And forgive me for... This is me... Today I'm back on after a little bit of a, a flu or a bug or something, so my mind's a bit all over the place. But they're still allowing Just Stop Oil people to go on telly and to say one third of Pakistan was underwater, talking in these biblical terms, and yet we know that Pakistan has flooded every other year since Moses was a boy, and not only that. But the recent dreadful flooding, and it must have been dreadful for people, a lot of it had to do with a dam, with a, a damming issue in a neighbouring country. I mean, this is a fact, it's not fiction, and yet they allow these prof- prophets and, you know, priestesses of doom to go on telly and say 
people are dying and birds are dropping dead out of the sky. It's nonsense. And apart from talk radio, <laughs> and apart from you and me today, nobody's challenging this stuff. Christopher Booker used to do it in the Telegraph. Uh, rest in peace. I used to pull it apart, but not anymore. Nobody. There's nobody doing it. Nicola, can I ask you this? Obviously, trying to get politicians to stop it is a complete and utter waste of time. So here's a question you don't want me to ask you, or nobody wants to be asked this. What the bloody hell can 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 anybody do to try and stop this happening? Well, so. I'm just hoping that when, <coughs> excuse me, when people can actually see what's ahead in terms of not being able to ex- escape, you know, this isn't something that they can just go home and close the front door to because it's going to, it's going to permeate everything to do with your home. It's going to, affect how you travel where, or if you can travel where you can travel that's my only hope is that if people can see this coming that they might ask, actually ask for some debate on the subject and some evidence yeah and they might actually knock on their neighbor's door you know whether their neighbor rents or whether they own uh, their own home i mean obviously it'll be more pertinent to them if they own their homes but to knock on their doors and say do you know they're going to come and try and take our house based on this climate crisis nonsense. They're going to make it impossible for us to live here. They'll make it prohibitively expensive. They'll try and force us into buying heating systems which don't work, which we'll have to borrow for. You know, hopefully that will drive people to where they knock on their neighbours' doors and say, look, we have to do something about this. They're talking today about increasing council tax bills by 5%. That's going to destroy people particularly here in Salford, Nicola. You know, I'm sure it's the same where you live. You know, a lot of my neighbours, most of them are working people. They work in Media City, they work in the hospital, they work in care, they work in schools. But they don't have 10, 12, 15,000 pounds savings in the bank. They don't. They're like, they're like the rest of us. They just don't. They're not going to be able to cope with a 5% increase in council tax you know, to pay for social care, which their bloody taxes should pay for any, anyway. It's time for people to say enough. It's enough. Over to you. You were going to say there. Yeah, well, they're squandering our council tax for starters. I just, I just um, had a result of a freedom of information request back, which I made to Pembrokeshire Council, because they're lighting up um, county hall in Haverford West in various um, colours to serve various political um Agendas. I think it's been lit up in blue and yellow at one point, which um, you know, in support of Ukraine, and it's been lit up in red most recently to um, raise awareness of. Now it's a it's a syndrome called POT. It's the, the acronym is POTS, and it's something like post-operative tachycardial syndrome. Um, Interestingly, I, I understand that this syndrome is something that was suffered by um, a Scottish person, which I, who's been quite vocal in the the, the vaccine injury um, movement. He's apparently got this syndrome. But anyway, they, they're lighting up County Hall in these colours um, for various reasons. And I asked them how much it costs for this light show and it's some somewhere in the region of a region of 128,000 pounds that's astonishing that 
and that's our council tax money. And speaking of council tax, in Wales, they're on about um, regrading council tax in 2030 based on a home's performance against its optimised potential. Wow. As identified in the home logbook. So it's saying it could encourage people to make energy efficiency changes to their homes. If council tax could be aligned to the energy efficiency of homes, it would require very significant lead-in time in advance of implementation. Nicola, remind remind us of the, the your sub stack address. Where should people go? Right. Um, well, it's it's quite new. I've only had two things. I've only published two things on this so far. But it's nicolalund.substack.com. Nicola Lund. That's L-U-N-D, uh, dear listener. Dot substack. Uh, dot uh, com. It's, it's it's crazy. You and 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 Mark Windows, most most recently. Um not talking about this last time he was on but Mark has done a lot on this and how they roll it out locally this is a local it's a, it's a global agenda but rolled out locally through local authorities I can see you know I was listening to the BBC yesterday on drive time they talked about football clubs fans trying to win you know competitions by showing how they can reduce their carbon footprint I can see local authorities asking you'll remember the tidy towns and all of these types of competitions it won't be long before they start getting people to participate in, you know, competitions to see which local authority can reduce its its carbon footprint. And they'll be encouraging people to encourage their neighbours not to eat meat on certain days and, you know, to get your, 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 your smart meter. It's happening so quick, Nicola. That's the the takeaway, you know, that I get from, from, from chatting with you today. We're just about out of time. If there's something you'd like to say before we finish, obviously now's a... Uh, the time to say it, but it was, um, it's great to reconnect with you. You should come back on more often, Nicola. You're a brilliant researcher. You really are. You do the hard yards and you do the freedom of information requests and you're a great writer. So rather than Muggins here and others like read your work and then regurgitate it, you should come back on more often to talk about this stuff. The door's always open. Thank you very much, Richie. Uh, if there was anything yeah, else, nothing, yeah, there's nothing else to, to add. But if yeah, anybody in Wales, if, if you if you could have a look at my Substack stuff, and I have actually um, published a few Wales specific articles on the Conservative woman, um, just take a look at them if you if you know. And I know that they're not much. Um, they don't do an awful lot for us, but contact the members of the of the Senate and and start holding them to account. Start making them work for their money. Let them know. I think they're planning on another 26 members of the Senate. They're trying to expand the Welsh government. That's all you need, yeah. more politicians oh. in Wales. <laughs> we'll, <laughs> we'll leave it there. Nicola Lund, nicolalund.substack.com. Nicola, thanks so much for your time today. It's a pleasure to reconnect with you. And I hope it's soon. Thank you very much. You're very welcome. Um, nicolalund.substack.com. That's uh, it's sobering stuff. That, but it's 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 happening. It's happening. It's happening everywhere. It's happening on st- on 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 roller skates, on rocket skates in Wales. But it's happening everywhere. It's happening here in England, in Scotland. It's happening in Ireland as well. And you'll find right across Europe, local authorities are rolling these things out. It's coming for people's homes, for your cars for your right to travel, for your right to exist effectively. And uh, 
yeah, that's it for today's programme. Thanks to Nicola. Thanks to Hayden Hewitt for his uh, company earlier on. Thanks for uh, putting up with me and me old lurgy. But um, no, great to be back today. We're going to do a phone in tomorrow from 5.30. I will put something on the website with the contact details, but I think you know them anyway. I do expect to hear from you tomorrow. And I am particularly looking forward to hearing from people uh, who I've never heard from before, right? So tomorrow's the day to call me. We can talk about anything, but I have a feeling it'll be uh, these agendas. No doubt about that. Enjoy the rest of your Tuesday. Closing out with something a little bit, uh, maybe a bit eccentric.